0: Amen. So glad you're here. My name is Ben, one of the pastors here at Hope Church. And if you've got a copy of the Scriptures, we're going to be in the book of Acts today. If not, please don't panic. We'll have those words on the screen. And we'd love to gift you a copy of the Scriptures uh, just in a modern translation. All kinds of really great stuff going on with translation of the Scriptures where people are able to go back to the Greek and the Hebrew, the original language, and then update it, Uh, not update the text, but at least translate it into an updated English. So we'd love to give that to you if you'd like one. So glad you're with us this morning as we continue in Acts. And as is so often the case, the calendar sort of gets away from us. And we've got like more than half of Acts left and like three weeks to do it. So uh, I I had an option. I, I could either just focus in, finish up a little bit of where we're at, and then pause. And maybe we'd come back to Acts at some later date. Or the rest of Acts is really fit together into three good sections. The the, the story to this point of the ministry of Jesus being handed off to his apostles who then went and spread that gospel out in the world. Then that spreading going that much faster, that much further because of persecution that took place in Stephen. Remember Stephen was killed. We talked about that first martyr after Jesus. Then we get a little bit further along, we see some of the stuff that's going on with Philip and Peter and John and James, different things happening, and as we get to Acts chapter 12, we finished Acts chapter 11 last week, as we get to Acts chapter 12, that persecution is hitting a high note in Jerusalem, and there's a transition that takes place in focus for the book. The guy that wrote this book, Luke, was setting down an orderly account of what took place In the beginning of the church. And there's an emphasis shift that takes place from the guys that were working there in Jerusalem, the apostles that we know from the Gospels, to the work that's taking place outside of Jerusalem. This guy, Paul, you may have heard that name before. He was one responsible for writing many of the books in the New Testament this guy, Paul, who is an early missionary only after being an early persecutor of the church, this guy, Paul, goes on three missionary journeys that are recorded in the book of Acts. If you've got an old Bible, sometimes the old paper Bibles will have maps in them. One of those maps is usually the three missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. That's always in old Bibles, and I never knew why that would benefit anyone to know. Now as an adult studying these things a little bit more heavily, there is a lot to be seen there. And what we're going to do this week and the next two weeks is look at the three missionary journeys of Paul and try and understand from them not just the trivia, what happened? That's important. That's helpful. Buzz in a Bible trivia game. But what would be more helpful, and I think probably the purpose of the recording of those different missionary journeys, is that we might learn what God has been doing and draw from that principles to apply as we continue the same work. Because you understand, I mean we're not just reading this. To see what did happen. We're reading it to know how we should act. We're following the same tradition. We're pursuing the same mission. The way that they were doing things. We want to learn from as well as we can. And I think the, the, the story of, of what Paul and Barnabas in this first missionary journey go through is super instructive. So we're going to look, just seven verses we're going to study to begin with that I think give you a pretty um, clear picture of what took place as they went from place to place, sharing about what Jesus had come and done. It says in Acts chapter 14, verse 1, Now at Iconium, that's a city in Asia Minor, now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. This was, again, this is is typical of what happened on this missionary journey. They would walk into town and they would go into the synagogue. Synagogue just means to gather together. They would go to the gathering place of the Jewish people in that town. And because of either Paul's um, credentials as this very learned Pharisee having studied under Gamaliel, or because of just all the hubbub that was going on around Jerusalem and what was going on there and the spread of this new way under Jesus, these guys would be invited to come up and share about what had been going on. And Paul would go up and he would share in the synagogue to the Jews about what Jesus had done and how it perfectly fulfilled what the Old Testament said Jesus would come and would do. And often, you had this response. People would believe. At some level, there would be a reception that takes place. And in this case, both the Jews and the Greeks believing. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city are divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. So this often would happen as well. The people who were in leadership among the Jewish people in that city who didn't receive, who didn't agree, didn't believe, would then stir up persecution against these guys. And the city would sort of half itself on one side or the other as they believe in what Paul and Barnabas are teaching. And then this would happen. Then an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. Stoning was an ancient form, not of just punishment, but of execution. They put you down in a pit, this is what happened to Stephen, they put you down in a pit and they throw heavy stones on you until you die. Pretty like medieval? No, it's like even beyond that. It's so crazy cruel, but it's the way that they were... uh, Uh, killing people back in the day they were going to try and stone paul and barnabas so they learn of it they flee away to lystra and derby other cities cities of lyconia in the surrounding country and there they continue to preach the gospel so what's a pattern here well they'd go where people are sometimes it's cities sometimes it's areas near cities we were always talked about whether or not they they had a purpose there we'll talk about that more in just a second they start wherever there's an opportunity to be heard. Often it's going to be in the synagogues. We'll talk about next week how Paul went into Athens and just started speaking at the Areopagus because that was a place you could go and speak. They would just find opportunities to be heard. Then, when that opportunity came, they would speak clearly and convincingly. They would marshal arguments. They wouldn't just declare, they would also attempt to convince. Christianity is not just a power play. Where somebody with an incredible amount of charisma just forces belief on weak-willed individuals? No. Always, from the beginning, it is an evidence-based religion. This makes sense. This makes sense. This makes sense. Therefore, believe this. And you can challenge those premises. You can challenge whether or not those premises lead to this conclusion. You can challenge the conclusion. But we're presenting it all to you. That's what Paul would do. He would speak clearly and convincingly. Then there would be this resistance that would come from committed opposition. People that were hard against. They weren't just very laissez-faire about who could speak about what. They would be very hard against and they would even seek to kill these guys. They would continue until the persecution gets to a level where they can't continue in that city and then they move on to another one to continue the same pattern. Now, if I told you that was what you should expect. That was your job description. Would you take that job? If I just offered you that job, I don't know how you would spin it. <laughs> See the world. <laughs> and by that I mean you can't stay anywhere too long. Uh, they'll, they'll try to kill you if you do. Uh, no, it doesn't seem very attractive. The pattern here doesn't necessarily speak to like this, this wonderful victory after victory that we all kind of hope for. This morning I was reading just a, a, an article-length history of a church that had been planted in New York City. And I was just reading about what God did with this church and I'm sitting there just getting jealous. Wishing that that was our story. Our story's a little different. It's a little slower maybe. It's just our story. The things that God calls us to do don't always look the way that we expect them to, don't always look the way that we maybe hope they will. But they look exactly how God wants them to. As we see this pattern, I want to pull out for this week a couple of different principles, namely, two, the message never changed. I don't know if you think that's interesting or not. Hopefully I can compel you with it. But the message never changed. And the methods regularly changed. If we're going to be a church, if we're going to follow after what God's called us to do, hell or high water, we have to be committed to these two ideas that I think we can see in this passage. The message never changed. And the message Regular, or I'm sorry, the, <laughs> it's one of those where you got to get your nouns right. The message never changed, the method's regularly changed. Let's think about this for a second, because we live in a world where everybody wants to take what's received as truth and just edit. Twist, turn, shape, so it fits a little bit better, and then we talk about your truth. Is that something that we're allowed to do? Is that something that's appropriate? even if it's something that we're tempted to do. It says in Acts 13, this full text of one of Paul's sermons to this Jewish synagogue. It's pretty exciting. It's interesting to go through and read. We don't have time to read it today, but it's Acts 13, 16-41. I encourage you to go home and read it. We're going to read selections from it. But Paul, when he told you that he would go and he would speak when he had an opportunity, and he would speak clearly and convincingly, Paul, we get this whole sermon that he preaches to these guys, and if you've got to know your audience, if you're preaching to Jewish people, the evidence that you need to marshal isn't necessarily the kind of evidence that you would put in place if you're speaking to a modern atheist person they've already agreed together that the scriptures are true so what paul would do is just take those scriptures and show how jesus perfectly fulfilled them he preaches eloquently it says in verses uh, 38 to 39 of acts 13 this big gospel invitation moment let it be known to you therefore brothers that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beautiful gospel presentation in just two verses. Through Jesus, you can be forgiven of your sins if you believe. Because you can't be forgiven of your sins through the law of Moses. You understand that they were attempting to perfectly obey God's law and then to get the attaboy that they were expecting from God one day because of their obedience. And Jesus is saying throughout his career, throughout his ministry, his followers are saying, here also Paul is saying, it's impossible. Can't be freed by the law of Moses. The law of Moses condemns you. And their hearts are moved. Huge success. Verse 42. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Oh my gosh. You people are generally positive enough about the preaching that goes on here. I think you know that I'm going to be here next week. But I've never walked out and had somebody go, please. Please let this be spoken to us again next Sunday. Never. I wouldn't expect it. But also, come on. And how good would it feel for your first gospel presentation in a city that hates, does not know, and hates the message? You speak it. You speak it boldly. You don't know what's going to happen. You, Paul, were involved in the stoning of Stephen when he spoke these things. Maybe they're going to drag you out by your hair and throw you in a pit and stone you. And instead, they begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. After the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke to them, urged them to continue in the grace of God the next Sabbath. Almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. If it's funny to think of you people begging me to come back, imagine me preaching a message here at Hope Church that all of Salt Lake City would be like reporting on and talking about and hordes of people trying to get in here to say, oh, we gotta, we gotta hear this. That's what was happening. This has got to be one of their highest moments. This is exactly what they had prayed for, exactly what they had hoped for. And then, verse 45, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy, began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him, verse 50, the Jews incited the devout women of high standing in the city and leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Barnabas and Paul, and drove them out of their district. High, high, high moment, and then, boom. They're driven out. Same message as Jesus, Peter and John, and Stephen. Paul's preaching the same message, and he gets the same result. Some people hear there's a moment where this crowd is gathered, and then persecution scattered. Now, the heading of this little point is that the message could never change. Think for a moment about why you might want to change the message. If you can't understand this desire, then you're never going to actually apply this point. Think for a minute why you might be tempted, not actually do it, why you might be tempted to monkey with the gospel, the message that we preach of the gospel. I think we can understand it a little bit better if we understand why the Jews were rejecting the gospel. Because the, the text gives us a couple of different clues to it. It says in the next verse, can you put up the next verse for me? This, would, uh, this is what Paul is preaching to them by him. Everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. A little bit of background information. Moses was a guy who brought down the Ten Commandments long, long, long before the time of Jesus. He expanded on that Ten Commandments by giving them implications of those Ten Commandments, teaching them how the nation of Israel was supposed to act according to God's holy commands. By the time you get to the day of Jesus and Paul, people had taken those laws and codified them, added to them, and put up this big list of rules, and then they attempted to follow every single one of those rules so well that They lived a religion that did not require grace. And here, as Paul preaches so clearly that they can't be freed by the law of Moses, the heart of man rejects it. We have these little cards, the gospel verse religion cards. You can read them. We talk about how you can be saved by grace through faith. You can just be, you can just be saved. All you have to do is believe, and you can just be saved. You can just be forgiven. You can be adopted into God's family and brought into his home forever. Okay, but what do I have to do? Nothing. That was it. That was the whole thing. Gospel (laughs) or religion. How do I get to heaven? Well, you know the Ten Commandments. Follow them perfectly. Mind, body, and soul. Every moment of every day until you're dead. Nobody would prefer that, right? Well, if you say that, then you don't know your own heart. It's difficult. It's difficult to live by grace because of what it says about you. If I'm only accepted by God by grace, it means that I couldn't hack it. If I need forgiveness, I'm admitting that I'm the kind of person that has to be forgiven. I'm the kind of person who's sinful. And if that doesn't seem like much of a leap, here's, I think, probably the biggest one. If I live by grace through faith rather than by working and obeying and being able to say to God, you owe me then I have to do whatever God says rather than doing whatever I choose. The God that gives me that kind of grace can ask anything of me. If If I obey and I can come before God and I have something to barter with because I've been obedient, then I stay in control. Does that make sense? I hope it'll start to I'm going to continue to try and get clearer in the way that I described that. But that is why it's impossible for the gospel to be attractive to proud people. And this Jewish leadership were proud. They were also jealous. It says in 13, 44, and 45, the next Sabbath, almost whole city shows up to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they're filled with jealousy like me sitting there reading about this other church that grew bigger than ours, jealousy. It's bitter in your mouth, it's awful. They rejected the God who was offering them the only forgiveness that they could really have. Now, if you're Paul, do you understand why there might be a temptation to tweak the gospel just a little bit? You might be tempted because there is a part of you that loves the Jewish people so desperately that you hope with all your heart that some might come to faith. And if the only thing that's gumming them up is that they want to continue to obey the law of Moses that's been fulfilled in Christ, wouldn't there be a part of you that was just like, okay, we'll just keep doing that then. If you really love them, wouldn't there be the temptation to just take the gospel and say, "Well, okay, let's just add a little I mean, it's mostly grace. Let's just add a little bit of work. You also have to tithe. There. Then you're saved by grace and you give your tithe, and that allows you to maintain just a little bit of pride. To keep back your just a little bit of autonomy. Isn't that okay? They say that most of heresy comes from the mission field because the missionaries are the ones that are out there sharing the gospel with people and they're loving them and they're bleeding for them and they're praying for them. And they think, man, if I could just just tweak this one little part of the gospel then maybe they would believe. Maybe they would receive it. Paul says about The Jewish people in Romans chapter 9, he says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ, I'm not lying, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, they are the Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. It's difficult to decode that maybe, but what he's saying is he wishes so deeply that the Jewish people would come to faith that he would like to offer God a trade. His soul for theirs never make that trade I'm not tempted to make that trade not because I'm so godly but because I love so little with stripes on his back and broken bones given him by the Jewish people Paul still could write that if you have that kind of love, that kind of love that's necessary to be motivated to take the gospel out to every highway and hedge. If you have that kind of love, won't you be motivated a little bit to tweak the gospel? If all they need is a tweak, wouldn't you be motivated to just tweak it just a little bit? Let's fast forward to today. You have friends all over the city who say, well, yeah, Jesus love, great. But doesn't your religion say... That I can't be me? Fill in the blank. Your love for that person, if you actually love them, your love for that person, if your gospel presentation to them isn't just some sort of Pharisee way for you to highball them, if your love for that person is genuine, wouldn't you be motivated to just tweak it just a little bit? but the message can never change. The Paul who wrote that he would rather switch his salvation for them also spoke boldly, never changing the gospel message, the same message that would one day lead to his death. Why can't we change the message? In John chapter 6, the guy, the apostle John, is telling the story about Jesus Jesus gave a hard teaching. It was actually a really clear presentation of the gospel. And the hard teaching lands on the crowd that had come around him. And the crowd disperses because he gets just clear about what it means to really believe. After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve who are still sitting there, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. We have believed and we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Why can't we change the message? Because it's only this message that are the words of life. It's only this message that leads to the humility, that leads to the gospel embrace of God the Father. The message, no matter what, cannot change. But the methods are going to change. We see that as well. Even though Paul and Barnabas were Jewish themselves and desperately wanted to see the salvation of the Jews, there was a moment when the rejection of Jews was complete to the point. It says in Acts 13, 46 and 47, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it's necessary for the word of God to be spoken first to you since you have thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. And you can read that and you can think to yourself that they were probably laughing while they said it. Oh, you don't want it? Fine by me. Take it to the Gentiles. But we read Romans. We know that Paul didn't feel that way. They probably said this with tears. But God had commanded them, I will make you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. It's just true that you can't change anyone. God can, but you can't. And you're so motivated through your love and your desire to see yourself change and other people come to know Jesus that you want to see things changed. Maybe we change the gospel just a little bit. Well, you can't do that. It's only the gospel that's really going to change them. And while you never give up hope, there is a moment when you may have to move on. That's what happened here. And there's there's an application to Hope Church as well. Because you're going to fall in love with some of the things that we do. Maybe you're just a creature of habit and you're used to it. There's always going to be an inertia moving in a direction that's going to be resistant to change. And on the lighter side, maybe it's just the programs, the signage. Maybe it's the rhythm to a Sunday morning or the timing. Maybe we move it up to nine o'clock instead of down 30. Ha <laughs> There'd be one person here. <laughs> but I'm saying, you know what if what if? What if we monkey with it? What if we thought we could reach more people by having a Saturday night service or a Sunday night service, instead of a Sunday morning service? Would you be willing to change some of the things that you like if you thought? That more people would hear the gospel. The methods have to change. Whatever it takes. It's Paul's mentality. Whatever it takes. Short of changing the gospel. Whatever it takes. That's why he gives up everything. And he's poor as anything. He goes from place to place to place. Just sharing this gospel. While over and over again he gets rejected. On The lighter side. We might monkey with stuff that you like. On the heavier side though. It may mean that there are relationships that you've been investing in for a very long time that have heard the gospel clearly, compellingly, they've seen it in your life, and you need to feel the freedom to look at other people that still don't have the gospel. I think more often than we'd like to admit, the enemy wants to tell you that lie. You don't need to share the gospel with anybody else. You haven't even seen your family come to Christ yet. You don't even worry about inviting anybody you work with to church. Your own spouse doesn't want to come with you to church. Well, why not both? The invitation is always there. And God has called you to see everyone. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Everyone. Talk to our brothers and sisters here in this room who left family to move across the world to share the gospel with other people. How'd they have freedom to do that? Because we trust, we trust that that gospel message is going to hit, it's going to work. And we trust that it's God that has to do it. So we share the message, we share it faithfully, we never tweak it, and yet there may be a time When you have to move on. That's what Paul did. He would always start in the synagogue. Those were the people he wanted to see come. When they didn't. Or when only some did. and they had heard. He would then go and share with the Gentiles. That same kind of thing might have to happen here. We are going to be committed. To trying. What we think. Is our best move. To get the gospel into the city. And it's going to be expensive. And it's going to have a lot of failure. And we are going to keep on doing it. Why? For this exact same reason that everybody, I don't care who they are, can hear and have the opportunity to really know and receive the gospel. Is that what you're committed to? It's only that kind of ethic that's going to lead to this kind of effectiveness. Where Paul can finish that journey and say, listen. Not everybody in all of these cities came to Christ, but enough did that there is a continuing gospel light in those cities. That's how he finishes tour. This missionary journey, we talk about him having three missionary journeys. He starts in Antioch, he does this tour of Asia Minor, then he comes back to Antioch. That's where he finishes the loop. But as he goes through sharing the gospel and seeing people come to Christ, he comes back through it. As he comes back through, he's able to put leadership over those groups of Christians in each of those cities. Backbreaking work. Soul-wrenching work and effective work. Are we committed to that same lifestyle? I hope so. I can guarantee as a church, that's where we're going to be leading you. My prayer is that we will all together have those commitments to never changing the message, but being willing at any time for the gospel to change anything else. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, these are hard things for us to be committed to. Maybe they're easy things to sign up for, but they're very difficult things to live out. So I just ask that you would write them on our hearts clearly. You'd allow us to pursue them with wisdom, not willy-nilly. But that we would be committed to doing whatever it takes to take the unchanging message of the gospel to an ever-changing world. That Hope Church would be and quick and agile. Ready to do whatever it takes. Lord, because your gospel is so good, I do pray that this morning there would be people who would receive that gospel even today. They would reject that religion, that, that intransigence, that pride, and instead hold close to the grace that can only be found in Christ. Pray these things in your son's holy name.